In this episode, we speak with Jason Fiedler, Managing Partner at Left Lane Capital, a venture capital firm investing in high growth, high retention, consumer and internet technology businesses. Jason joined the firm in 2019 after working previously as a principal at Red Sea Ventures. Currently, he serves on the board of directors of Takiatry, Smalls, and Tovala. He is also involved in investments including Abound, Renegade Insurance, and Jackpocket. We hope you enjoy the show. Jason, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It's a delight to be with you. A lot of our audience may not know about Left Lane Capital. I heard about you and heard about the firm when I was with some friends and they happened to mention Left Lane and you guys kind of came out of nowhere and started investing, I think, fairly prolifically. So maybe we could just start with a little bit of background on yourself and the firm. Let's do it. First off, thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here and meet you and chat a little bit about Left Lane. As you mentioned, we are a new firm and have, I like your word, prolific. I think it's been an exciting time to get a fund off the ground. But in short, the four founding partners of Left Lane, we all started our careers at Insight Venture Partners. So we're classically trained as enterprise software investors. We like high repeat. We like high margin. And this kind of strategy that Left Lane's built on kind of dates all the way back to 10 years ago when we were focusing a lot of those efforts towards high margin, high repeat businesses more towards the consumer side. So instead of email archiving software, we started talking to direct to consumer food subscriptions or online learning courses or businesses that were more on the consumer side, but they still exhibited a lot of these characteristics of what we were learning made for a good business. And so over the years, built up a track record of investing in companies like Calm and HelloFresh and Freshly and Delivery Hero. And this is a good friend of mine from college, Harley Miller, who was at Insight at the time, kind of leading these types of investments. I actually left and went to Uber. I was early at Uber launching new cities for them. And then I started angel investing. And I was an early investor in a handful of companies like The Farmer's Dog and Figs Medical Scrubs. And I started to notice similarly, these companies on the consumer side that were exhibiting these high repeat behaviors. And they were really good quality businesses. They weren't your more one-time purchases or consumer businesses that people traditionally get afraid of. A lot of digital first businesses. So Harley and my other two partners now, Vinny and Dan, actually led subsequent rounds in a handful of the companies that I angel invested in. And so I got to see from the other side of the table just how unique what they were bringing, their perspective was. And we started Left Lane as a fund dedicated to this consumer internet investing opportunity. And so two years ago, we formally launched our first fund. You can read about it, 630 million. And as you said, prolifically kind of got started. And that was kind of right at the beginning of COVID when there was kind of a double clicking on a lot of these direct-to-consumer business models, at-home learning business models. And so we were fortunate to kind of hit the ground running right at a time where there was a lot of emphasis and excitement on the types of businesses that we were investing in. While it's not uncommon to see folks peel away from their firm and start their own, I think what's less common is the ability to actually succeed right out of the gates and have a distinct approach. And so what was it that really made you guys come together and say, we want to do this and we have a unique angle and we're different. We talk about our first fund of left lane, not really as a first time fund. I mean, this is a strategy that had really been deployed over 10 years. And Harley, Vinny, Dan, and I have worked 20 years of shared experience 
working together. So it wasn't really a new strategy or a new firm. And I think that allowed us to shortcut some of the referencing and referenceability and track record of fundraising. And then it allowed us to convince firms that were potentially going to raise from the who's who, the traditional funds that you'd read about and want to lead your rounds. And we could credibly convince them to take money from us, a new fund, a new name over them. So I think the combination of having worked together and the combination of this not being a totally net new strategy, just really a new label on on it and a new independent entity that we're investing out of. And then it's a little bit of our disposition and culture. We don't do anything kind of in a relaxed, casual manner. We hit the ground running. It was not an easy start. It was a very heavy lift trying to raise not a small fund for four kind of 30-ish year olds. And so I don't know exactly the number, but a thousand or so pitches in 2019, 2020 started to get some folks to really believe in us and I think made it happen. And it's really just we're continuing to build a brand of leadership and expertise in these types of businesses. Just to go back to kind of your question, we felt like we were constantly having to educate others or bring them up to speed on this exact type of business, and it was slowing us down. And so it felt like these businesses, this strategy needed its own home, and that's what we gave it with Leftlane. What you and your partners have been able to do is very difficult. I've had friends that have done this before, and I know the battles that they have to face every day on both sides with trying to get into a deal. There can be some sharp elbows when you're trying to either lead a deal or participate in a deal. And then likewise, on the fundraising front, going out to LPs, I mean, that can be daunting. There's you know things changing continuously. You never know exactly if you're going to hit the target. So tell us about some of your investments and how yeah, you were able to get in on them. Definitely. I think the first thing that came to my mind is just having a partnership that is truly complementary and balanced. And I would not be here. I don't think Left Lane would be here without the balance and just being able to be in this together. There's a lot of mental, physical, we're truly performing here. And so it's been really helpful to have the support of Harley, Vinny, and Dan and making this happen. So I think that's been huge. And sorry, just repeat one more time the question. I guess how you guys were able to make it happen on both sides. I'm sure it's been very challenging. I haven't heard one scenario where it was an easy lift on either end, or they just kind of like fell into deals and they fell into like good cohort of LPs. Yeah, I think that day and age of VC is over where you're kind of just taking capital because of the logo and because of the brand name. I think what we're finding is with these entrepreneurs that we're coming across, first off, most of them are our age, our generation. And they want to be calling somebody at night or texting them or have someone on their board that they feel similar to, that they feel has to win as big as them, right? We don't have six other funds that we can just rest on and say, you know what, we're taking carry checks from those. These companies that we're investing in now, these are our flagship deals. And I think that these entrepreneurs that we're talking to resonate a lot with the fact that we're really in it together with them. I think that when we're talking to them relative to others, they end up talking about a couple of things. One is the amount of data that we process and our data rigor. And we do everything from the ground up. Basically, all of our investment analysts and associates are data scientists. They know how to use SQL programs. And we're taking customer data and we're not just saying, okay, because your slide deck says it's 42% month 12 retention that it is, we're actually building that up for ourselves. And I think that exercise builds a lot of trust and it just puts us in a different position than all of the other funds that they're talking to. 
it develops more of a working relationship. And you just get to this point where the founders are like, you know what, this isn't just capital. These are sparring partners. These are folks that can truly challenge the way I think that can a lot of times in that exercise, best practices and knowledge that we've acquired from other businesses that share business models or other things we can leverage. And that kind of vetting process that Mm -hmm. we're going through when we're doing diligence on a company acts as a selling process where they get to see, okay, these are good people that I enjoy spending time with. They're really smart and they understand my business and they can help me kind of de-risk this next stage of growth and go through those growing pains a little bit easier. And that's really what we're here for and what excites us and why we hustle our butts off to make sure that we win, like you said, all those LPs and deals to make Left Lane the best firm out there. And you have operating experience. I think Harley has operating experience. Is that the same with the other two firms? And does that help you win deals? No, I think Harley doesn't have traditional startup operating experience, but I would say we're all getting operating experience starting this fund, right? It's a company. But yes, I have some operating experience in the classical sense. My other partners, Dan or Vinny, don't. We're kind of all students of the venture capital game. And this kind of what Insight was, was kind of an early entrant to the outbound sourcing kind of rigorous data model. I think I'm in the boat where I loved my operational experience. I think it gave me a sense of empathy that I have with entrepreneurs. But in terms of its importance towards making me a quality investor and picking the right market opportunities and the right business models, I don't find myself leveraging those days as much from a, just being able to relate to the entrepreneur and especially for some of our earlier deals, which I didn't mention, we're mostly focused on series A, B, and C writing kind of five to a hundred million. I know that's a big kind of gap, but five to a hundred million dollar lead equity checks, right? We're trying to catch these businesses as they inflect. I tend to focus on a bit more of the earlier stage businesses within our portfolio when it is a little bit more relevant to have that empathy and be able to relate to the entrepreneur. But I wouldn't say that we tout our operational experience as the unique advantage. I think we tout the track record and expertise that we built in consumer internet and the network of kind of these B1 consumer internet entrepreneurs that we can leverage to help this next generation of companies become unfairly successful. One thing we focus on Given the name growth cap, we focus on growth investors. And typically, we like to see that firms could actually add value to the companies that they're investing in. And there's gradations of that kind of level of involvement. Some firms are pure allocators of capital, other firms get involved to certain levels of degree. Tell us a little bit of how you work with your portfolio companies. Yeah. So, I mean, it's as the name kind of left lane suggests, that's it's really about supercharging growth. And so we have and are building an active platform team that is going to be dedicated towards servicing our portfolio companies. And by the way, sorry, is actively running around growth and hiring. And by the way, we should mention in March, we have a growth summit coming up. So I should invite you to that. But we want to be the go-to resource for these folks to really kick it into the next year. The network, first and foremost, I mean, the people that we can connect you to are typically the ones that you would dream of. They're the B1s of this market opportunity and consumer internet. The knowledge sharing everyone's talking about, it's expensive to advertise and acquire customers on Facebook. Where do we go elsewhere, right? That's a conversation that we're having, not just one-off or reading a news article about it. We're having that in 10, 15 different board meetings and trying to navigate, right? So a lot of knowledge sharing and pattern recognition and best practices that I think weave through all these portfolio companies, hiring is huge. I mean, typically, 
right when we're making an investment, that's one of the biggest things. And so our network is super valuable towards introducing folks, whether they're ex-Uber or ex-whatnot. There's just so much value that can be provided by hooking people up with awesome candidates. And we're active and on call. And I think that's kind of the other thing is just really being there as a partner. I think if you looked at my text messages, 10 out of the last 20 would probably be founders that I'm on the board of or that I'm prospectively talking to make an investment. We're not activists in the sense that we're telling you how to run your business, but we are active sparring thought partners. We're not yes men. We are absolutely the first to challenge you and question you and dig down to the data that's rooted behind a certain analysis or decision. And I think this is a people game, right? We don't believe in AI sourcing and AI robo-investing. And at the end of the day, you got to want to work with us. Tell us about some of the investments you've made, like one or two consumer internet and fintech. Tell us about the ones you're excited about. So as left lane, we really focus on the entire consumer wallet. If you think about everything from real estate to healthcare to fintech, everything is becoming digitized. And so we're touching all of that. I tend to focus a bit more within our firm on commerce, your direct-to-consumer subscription products, also just connected commerce and vertically focused labor marketplaces as well. And then also what I would group is kind of sneaky big markets. So one company that I'll mention that I recently invest in is called Blank Street. It's a small footprint coffee shop chain that's tech-enabled and quickly scaling. And a lot of people would say, wait, you invested in a coffee shop? That's a venture capital investment. And I love these market opportunities of large consumer repeat spend where you have a couple of things. You have sneaky big markets. Coffee is a giant market. Starbucks has $125 billion of market cap and an insane market share in the US. And in my opinion, ripe for someone to come and compete with them. But if you think about it, it's also NPS Delta is another kind of criteria that I think about. How many coffee brands do you totally, truly love? And so I focus on these categories. If you think about Figs Medical Scrubs, one of my investments in the past, or Farmer's Dog, these are not hugely revolutionary products. Apologies if either of those two founders are listening to this, but they're so much better than the current offering. And they're in large markets of consumer repeat spend. And that was the key. So if a category might be like beverage, right? That's not a typical consumer internet category. But to me, it's highly interesting. And so Blank Street, we recently just led a round in. They are quickly expanding. So they have 30 locations in New York City now. They'll end this year at around 100. So taking a Uber kind of expansion-like approach to coffee, this is a product that over 50% of coffee is bought through the mobile wallet. It's highly habitual. There are a lot of interesting things that we can do to grow this business as more of a tech-enabled business than just a traditional business. And the last thing that I'll add is it's a great financial profile of a business and it makes cash. And in a time when valuations have been quite high for businesses that might not have the most compelling traditional economics, this was kind of a refreshing way for us to bet on a trend. Coffee's not going anywhere with an opportunity to get the multiples that we're used to. I mean, if you look at companies like Dutch Bros and see how they're trading, these are software-like multiples for traditional consumer assets. And so I love trying to find these sneaky opportunities like Blank Street. Curious, did you look at Mudwater? No Mudwater and no a lot of the other kind of direct-to-consumer coffee alternatives or options. Cometeer is actually one of my favorites. But one of the most interesting things I learned, and this is what I love about my job is going deep on these markets, while 80% of coffee consumption is in the home, 
80% of the actual spend in the market occurs out of home. And so that's when I really shifted my focus to wanting to make an out of home bet. I also think there's an opportunity at Blank Street for us to build a brand over time. But coffee is a great market. There's a lot of ways to win. And I'm sure there'll be a handful of winners. I know that company is taking off quite quickly. But that's one area I'm excited about. Another one I'll just quickly mention is a company called Talkiatry that we've actually now led two investments in. It's a mental health business. They employ psychiatrists and have in-network deals with health insurance so that they can offer really affordable rates in network rates to people for licensed psychiatrists. Medication management and getting psychiatric help is a disaster in the United States currently. And they are really bettering that whole situation by employing psychiatrists. They now have 250 and making them really efficient. And so that's one business that now we've, as I said, led two rounds in, really excited about. They just got a national contract and are going to be expanding nationally. In addition to, we're going to have blank streets and next to Talkiatry, next to, you know, just kind of get all of our consumer companies expanding nationally. When you were going out to uh, LPs, did you brand yourself as venture capital or growth equity? Was that a discussion internally? That is such a good question. And we answered it to an extent based on who was asking it, uh, (laughs) because there's true buckets at these LPs, right? And whether they check you in the VC bucket or the growth bucket might be the difference between whether you get an investment or not. We actually, so Don Pest, one of our LPs, coined the phrase inflection point investors, or inflection investors, which is kind of to refer that we were having so much struggle with different LPs, figuring out which bucket to put us in. We're really and truly make the argument that we are the best of both worlds and right in the middle. We give you, this is kind of the pitch, the downside protection of more of a traditional growth equity fund, right? We're looking at retention. We're looking at from being classically trained as enterprise software investors. We're not investing in the high-flying consumer businesses that are only as good as their last month of sales. That could just completely strike out with, and you're going to be stuck holding the bag. We're investing in really, really resilient business models on the consumer side, especially, and I've talked more consumer products, but especially when you go towards the SMB enablement and fintech parts of our portfolio. You're not switching wealth managers or wealth management apps very often. But you still get the upside potential of traditional venture. These are businesses that are tackling huge markets and we're getting in not at your multi or even billion entry price, right? So there's still a long track for a lot of these to go. So I think it is a great question. We position ourselves a bit based on where the allocation is, but the true answer we like to give is that we're right at that inflection point between VC and growth equity. Got it. We're coming up on time here. I have one last question. Can you tell us about a book that you've read that you found particularly meaningful, one that perhaps influenced the way you approached your career, the way you approach investing, or perhaps just relationships in general? I can't believe I'm going to actually say this, but I am because it was actually that foundational and good. But there's a very short book called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. You know, listen, I take myself very seriously often. And I think there's so much about that mentality that can pay dividends and allows, I think, you more flexibility to just live life in a better way. Also, I think was combined with a bit of my Uber experience of just stuff happens in life, right? You can't possibly know everything. If you knew everything, it would be priced to perfection and it would be really expensive. I always, in one of the words of wisdom that my mentor, Devin Parekh at Insight, told me is it's better to be strong and wrong than weak and right. And so sometimes you want to protect every little word that you say and 
manage every little interaction, but sometimes you just have to live a little bit lighter and you have to think a little less seriously. And oftentimes success, as long as you're working really, really hard and giving it your all with all best intentions, it'll come that way versus just totally overdoing it. And so I never thought I would actually quote that one, but it is one that I often, when I'm just pushing myself too hard, I say, it might not be meant to be. And so I recommend it for anyone that hasn't read it. Love it. Well, this has been a great conversation. Again, thank you for taking the time. For those listeners out there, if you haven't visited the left lane, you should and check out Jason's view of Manhattan. It's fantastic. I've been watching it while he's been giving great insights. We are proudly a Brooklyn-based DC, as I told you. But thank you for having me, RJ. It was great to share a bit about Left Lane. My pleasure. Talk soon. 